Hello. Hello. There we go. We got us some signal. And I got a dog that needs to go on a walk. It's Christmas Eve. Very cold. So it's a squeaky snow day. And a squeaky snow day is uh, probably pretty annoying. I think from listening to stuff that I've been posting, I think squeaky snow uh, car car background noises is preferable to squeaky snow. But you take what you can get. It is hard to get set with a dog. Hey, pulling on you. Please bear with me. Okay, maybe <laughs> dog. Well, the topic that I have introduced is a is a kind of a long topic. Probably not gonna not gonna make a lot of sense unless you listen to all of it. And uh, probably listening to all of it is um, takes a while. So I, it doesn't bother me if you cut this out. Although I do find that in the process of the talking about various various aspects, um, I, t I tend to think it's interesting in and of itself. So. What we were talking about, and what I finished with, is is the word to use. It's often used to describe it in modern culture, and that's an idea called the unity. It's the point at which everything becomes everything else. And the theory is right now um, that that's accelerating because of the possibility of artificial intelligence, but it's not at all a computer geek kind of theory. World religion has, of various kinds, have recognized that if you have the processes that are going on continue for eternal lengths of time, um, that, that the process of everything becoming more part of something else is it's the ultimate end and so that that was described various ways so I went over the two that, that sort of made sense um, on on the surface but the, the biggest one I suppose is knowledge because knowledge is very closely connected to uh, consciousness so the, the problem the not, not the problem, but the destiny that faces us as it concerns our, our consciousness is that at some point, everyone is part of the same thing. That everything is known to everyone. And, uh, well, what's the problem with that? Well, there are a couple of problems with that. When when everyone becomes everything, or everything becomes everyone, when when there are there are not differentiations, then it's hard to resurrect the idea of some meaningfulness to your identity. 
And this is this is chronically the problem that is faced. Um, you, you can you can put it into some different world. So we could say, well, we don't have to worry about that happening because as Christians we believe that that God's going to bring an end to this world and we're going to go to heaven. And I think, to my way of thinking, that does nothing to relieve the problem. That intensifies it. The idea of eternity is an idea of existing forever. With minus pain, minus uh, striving and, and, and problems. So you have an eternity of doing whatever you like to do. And that is pretty hard to imagine. But if you take the time to imagine, you realize, well, is it that? Doesn't that sound maybe a little bit more like hell? That everything you love to do, you would do it so long until you no longer liked it. I mean, the idea of an eternal heaven is, uh, wow. That is not a selling point for some people. It is a selling point if you're afraid of death. So, so that's where it gained, I think, popularity in uh, evangelical Christianity. Um, by evangelical Christianity's own definition, their focus was on this uh, this good news, the evangelium, the. the the focus on this chance you have to escape death. And so the uh, that was emphasized by them without maybe a deep look at what that means. Eternity weighs heavy on the minds of some people. What, what would I do? What would I do forever? What would I know? What, what joy would there be in knowing everything and having myself fully known? So, an assumption into some celestial realm does not solve this problem. If anything, I would argue that it intensifies the problem. And yet, if we, when we accept uh, the idea of eternity, that, that's what we're faced with. Well, that's our opinion of it. Okay? I mean, the, for, for humans, it, it becomes a major challenge to, to um, maintain a sense of meaning, if that is. Okay, religions have suggested it. I, I believe this is roughly the idea of nirvana, um, that, that after so many trips around um, the circle, of life or the, the bound to the wheel that you are finally set free and you become and, and and the problem is that when you describe it it's it's an odd mixture it's like oh you become nothing no 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 this isn't this isn't becoming nothing well what is it well it's becoming everything well nothingness and everythingness both do away with you. If you cease to be, then you no longer exist. If you become a part of absolutely everything, then you no longer exist. And the problem is if your destiny 
is at some point to no longer exist as distinct from anyone else, then it's very difficult, very difficult to maintain a sense of meaning. So, Christian religion tried to simplify that. And, and they ran into all sorts of problems when they did. They said, okay, well, you do exist forever. But you could exist in happiness or you could exist in pain. And uh, so that gives you meaning, this ultimate um, this ultimate, well, this ultimate state of pain becomes very difficult, as well as the ultimate state of pleasure, right? So we, we could question all the questions about what um, preserving your identity to be punished forever might say. And that wouldn't be a, an easy thing to um, deal with. My dad's going to stop and talk. Hey! What? Thanks for plowing. Oh, I broke down, so I couldn't finish plowing. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't plow in today until okay. I get it fixed. Yeah, I'm just going down to turn around and I clean the windshield up. Okay. So, that was my father um, driving. He lives on the same road as we do. Um, and the squeaky snow, you can hear it pretty distinctly in the car. So, you, you, we, let's leave aside what it might mean that, that your individuality is preserved so that you could suffer eternally. But, again, it comes back to, well, what if your individuality is preserved so that you could do, have pleasure eternally? Well, pleasure eternally... I don't think there is. I don't think we can conceive of it. So then you have to jump and you have to say, well, there is a celestial pleasure that is so pleasurable that you won't mind doing it forever. And, uh, okay, well, you, you start to lose you, however however far you go into that. Um, you, you, it's really hard. I guess my point is it's very difficult to maintain the significance of the personality. And we like us. But if being us doesn't matter someday, then being us doesn't matter today. And we fall into nihilist hell. Um, and I really think that's probably the easiest sort of gaping maw of darkness that you could fall into is to say nothing matters. Well, I didn't mean to get stuck on that. But the point is that it's difficult to describe something other than this unity of nothingness. Now, one of the specific claims of Christianity that I think is, is interesting and, and illuminated in this problem 
is this odd claim that God is love. Christian um, source texts and commentary, I mean, this seems to be a central position that, that God is love, that that is his identifying characteristic in some sense. I mentioned this at the end of the podcast yesterday, that uh, there are you know, the four things, God being omniscient, knowing everything, well, that fits into the unity. God being omnipotent, that fits into the unity. God being omnipresent, that fits into the unity. And God being love demands that there be identity. Love is not love without an object. And the, the centrality of this in Christianity, the centrality of the individual, because of the characteristic of God that they insist is, is central to him, is one of, I think, the very unique things about Christianity. Um, so much of, of religion is, is people interpreting, um, interpreting ideas, the same ideas in a different part of the world in a different language. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't find that at all odd. We're all seeing and trying to explain the same thing. But I, I do think that in Christianity there's this odd insistence on God being love. And it's particularly odd since the descriptions of God basically follow the pattern of the other gods who have been described. The archetypes of the, the wise king who can sometimes turn out to be a tyrant, um, I would say that fits in. And then the, the son who, um, you know, Jesus Christ fits very much into the, to the pattern of the demigods. That these gods have lost, the, the gods on Mount Olympus have lost sight of what it might mean to be human. And so the, the demigods, the, the god-man creatures, have a sympathy and uh, challenge the, the blindness of the gods on Olympus by Prometheus, for instance, giving fire to humans. And, um, all of that seems to have a, a, a parallel in Christianity and um, the other religions of the world. But there is this odd insistence that somehow love is essential to the Christian interpretation of the universe, or the Christian interpretation of God and, and thus of the universe. So let's just take that as, let's not, let's not try to figure out whether that's true. Let's just assume that that is true. So, so there is this being we're going to make some, some fundamental assumptions that lots of others have made. I'm not trying to change it. But we're going to assume that the, the force that guides life is not impersonal, but that it is a consciousness. Okay, that's basically, to me, it seems the fundamental um, concept of God. 
is, again, I've talked in other places about gravity. We can envision gravity as this impersonal force, so we could envision it as uh, the, the planet hugging us to itself because it loves us and doesn't want us to go flying. Okay. And then we would have to decide which both are valuable tools of interpretation, but is there any substance to the idea that, that gravity has some sort of consciousness that guides it or relates to us? The fundamental assumption about God is that, that there are these forces and uh, there have been countless numbers of people who have personified these forces, okay? And the philosophical question that lies to us is, are they merely personification for our sake? So when we, we talk about the, the God of the North Wind, um, do we really think that the North Wind has consciousness and can think about us? And, and this is the philosophical challenge to God. But it's, it's what countless people have suggested. So we're going to at least admit it as a, as a common hypothesis. We're going to say, if there is a God who is guided, is not just an impersonal force, but is a consciousness. And this consciousness is uniquely or not uniquely, um, but, but I, will, I will claim that is for the Christians uniquely imbued with the idea of love, then the primary task of this God is to create personality. Because without personality, there cannot be love. If he is everything and everything is him, then his love has love has no meaning. So when when John describes it this way, and he, he describes um, Jesus Christ as the Word, as it is the Word of God, what goes out from God, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him were all things, and without him there was nothing. So The problem, I think, that is being presented is exactly what I'm suggesting, is that there is this need, this pressing need for personality, for, for some sort of individual identity so that this aspect of God has an outlook. And I think that is the uniquely Christian um, It is the claim of Judaism and Christianity, although I would say it is the claim of Judaism very um, sort of behind the scenes, but it is the claim of Judaism which is emphasized by Christianity. So if you have this, there's this consciousness that guides all life that says we have a problem. Well, the other assumption we'll make is that there is something eternal. And, and again, that is a widespread assumption. I'm not the first guy to suggest this. Um, it's difficult for us to, to have meaning without eternity, without something that happens that makes what we're doing now have some significance. And how much of this comes back to our need for meaning 
is really a, a separate topic of, of great interest. And it is something that, that the Christian answer, the, the creation interpretation of origins, answers well. We could have a need for meaning that came from our Creator. It is a huge challenge for the evolutionary biologist to explain why we think the world should have meaning. Um, perhaps you could claim that there doesn't need to be meaning, but if you think you there is meaning, you will live differently than if you think there is no meaning. So the organisms that thought there was meaning tended to do better and tended to... But, but that is only at the point of, of human evolution, right? That wouldn't have guided earlier evolution. And how would it appear on the scene with humans? So then we have to ask a whole string of questions and look for evidence of proto-meaning. Um, and we can find evidence of proto-meaning in, in primates, in things like, um, well, I don't know if we can. The most interesting is, is what the significance was explained by Jordan Peterson um, when he talked about animals being able to play and having some sense of fair play. I encourage you to listen to it. I think it's in his Maps of Meaning lecture number three. Um, so anyway, there, there may be some prototypical ideas of meaning and fair play that, that began to evolve, but suddenly with humans there's this sense of meaning tied to eternity. That is, that is very difficult to answer. And that is, that's what motivates me today, is to, is to say, well, where's the meaning? So, you could say, well, there is none, and then welcome to nihilist hell. Um, that's where you will end up. And that's fine. If there's no meaning, then hell is no better than heaven, and, and all of the things that go along with, with no meaning. But what I'm looking at is what would have been like for this, this God who wants to create personality. And the reason that he wants to create personality is because he has an abiding virtue called love that has nothing. There, there is nothing apart from himself to love. So he has this unfulfilled love. And no, no hope for that to um, be fulfilled in any way. So he's got a challenge: is how is he going to, how is he going to make a creature that will, in some way, escape the unity? Because if, since we're assuming that the world is there is eternity, then the inevitable result will be the unity. Everything is everything. And when everything is everything, there is nothing to love. There is no way that God can be love. So, if I take that position, then I say, okay, what, what could God possibly do? 
to make unique consciousness if someday everything is going to know everything. But we'll, we'll skip the, the value of, of everything becoming everything in the material sense. But in the area of consciousness, what are you going to do? Someday everything is going to be known. Paul says it. For, and and it's, he says it in the context of, of his exposition on love. He says, for I shall be known, for I shall know even as I myself am known. Well, here is my hypothesis of an answer. I cannot change the fact that if we live in eternity, we will know and be known completely. And as we know and be known completely, our consciousness will enter a unity and there will be nothing to love. But the way in which you could create a unique consciousness is if you created a system which allowed you to layer knowledge into a being. Let me say it again. It, 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 since I want there to be unique personalities, so that I, I'm a talking as God, since I want there to be unique personalities which will maintain their distinction even when they get to the point of everything being one, then I would have to create some system that would allow them to know everything in a different pattern. So if that were my challenge, I think, and now it's easy for me because I, I'm living in it, I think that what I would create would be time. So, so time would be the, the framework of understanding which would allow everyone to become everyone else and all knowledge to be equally shared at some point in eternity. But I could still maintain my conscious identity because the order in which I had all knowledge layered into me was different than the order in which you had all knowledge layered into you. With time, God gave our identity the option of having a history. And so each one of us could have the, eventually have all knowledge, but we would all have it in the context of a personal history that would give us an identity that could remain eternal. And that eternal identity would allow God to have something to love even when we enter the point when all consciousness is joined. I think it's a good stopping point um, because I think it would definitely, partly because I'm at home um, and I got the 
untangle the dog. Um, but I think it, it's a, a good stopping point because uh, we've, we've covered a lot. But it may be worth thinking about on your own. Sum it up. God, according to the claims of the Christian writings, God's most notable identity is love. And it is that love that makes it so necessary for us to have an individual identity. Otherwise, there is nothing to love. So the God facing this challenge is facing particularly the challenge of making something which can remain unique. And the God who makes something which can remain unique decides to create time as a framework for layering in the knowledge that will constitute our identity. And we get to take into the unity of personal history. Maybe. I hope that I haven't lost you. Um, I look forward to talking again. And I will wish you a Merry Christmas.